Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Running Effect with Dominic Schleter. I'm your host Dominic and I'm thrilled you've clicked on today's episode for a few reasons, but first off, it is the first episode of 2023 and that is very exciting because we have a massive year planned for the Running Effect. More content than ever, uh, the biggest guest we've ever gotten. It's going to be a big year, so make sure you're following on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And if you're curious about the behind the scenes of how things goes on and hearing about what future guests we're going to get on and ask listener questions you can always follow me on instagram at the running effect that way uh, you you stay tuned and kind of can follow along the journey of the podcast today i have the great privilege of speaking with professional marathoner lauren goss lauren had a remarkable 2022 year Uh, she accomplished almost every single one of her running goals Um, she i believe ran her first marathon she set a new half marathon pr she did so many incredible things taking steps towards the version of herself and runner she wants to be it was a really fun and inspiring conversation all I'll say is that Lauren has truly an incredible story and I left the conversation both inspired and like whoa that story is truly incredible so I hope you all are inspired by her story and more motivated to chase after your dreams and goals after hearing Lauren speak one quick note before we hop into today's episode today's podcast is brought to you by Gooder Gooder makes $20 active sunglasses that don't slip, don't bounce, and are 100% polarized. Guys, they're lightweight and comfortable, 100% polarized, stylish, so many cool colors. I, If you go in my running closet, I probably have like eight different colors. Um, One of my favorite uh, colors of all time is they did um, a partnership with Where's Waldo, and there's a little fun Where's Waldo icon on the top of the glass. Uh, They also have done collaborations with Marvel before. So many different cool colors, and Gooder is really pushing front, you know, the running sunglasses movement. So if you're active or running, they don't slip or bounce, which is a big thing for me. And another big thing for me is they're super easy to clean, which is hard to come by with some sunglasses companies. So there's no risk in trying Gooder because they offer a one-year warranty, 30-day free returns, and one 100% satisfaction guaranteed. All you have to do is scroll down to the show notes. I left a link there uh, because Gooder is giving the Running Effect podcast listeners free shipping on your first order. You can go to gooder.com slash the running effect to get free shipping and find your pair today. Okay, without further ado, enjoy my first episode of 2023 with the one and only Lauren Goss. Lauren, welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm doing really well, uh, enjoying some downtime after my marathon and spending the holidays in Charleston, South Carolina. Super fun. So I got to ask, what was the highlight of yesterday? Yesterday was Christmas. We're recording this on the 26th. I'm curious, like, was there a specific highlight that you think back to that was that was particularly enjoyable over the holidays? Uh, well, I have a two-year-old son, so this was really my first Christmas seeing him, like, like presents and get excited about Santa and um so I would say this is the first Christmas of my life where it wasn't about me and it was about someone else and uh that was pretty special I enjoyed that I enjoyed it much more than you know uh not having him around so right that was great not to get like too deep too right away but uh it's it's quite a privilege to have you on as a mother because 
on the podcast. I haven't had too many mothers on. Um, I can't even think to any who would have been mothers. Normally, they're you know fast NCAA athletes or, or people in the peak of their professional career. So I'm curious because this is a new perspective, and I'm always curious about hearing new perspectives and, and people share their, their history and their lessons. What are the biggest lessons that you've been taught over these past two years of being a mother? Oh, wow. That's a good question. Yeah. So, you know, I think my biggest lesson I've learned at least about myself is I tend to thrive uh, when I have others around me or when there's like connection. And uh, I recently got divorced. So um, I split time with my son, with my ex-husband, and I find that I perform better when I have my kid around. Um, So and that was a big realization for me. And it wasn't just him. It's more of just having people around instead of living this kind of lonely life that I lived as a triathlete um, in my former profession before having my son. So I would say he's taught me that having connection with others and um, involving others in training um, or even going to races, really bring out the best in me personally. Um, so I don't know if that's because it keeps me distracted or I don't have time to obsess too much, too much over, you know, the athletic endeavor I'm about to do. Uh, but definitely having him around is a positive and not a negative as maybe some people would think, um, having a two year old, maybe like a time suck or you can't recover, you know, or you don't sleep as well. And those things are all true. But for me, that connection piece is, trumps all of the rest. And I've, I've, I've been able to reach some pretty big running goals of mine um, since having him. So I don't know if he is the reason, but he's definitely helped me get there. <laughs> yeah. So how special is it to be able to accomplish such meaningful things as he's starting to grow up and like think ahead to the future and be like, wow, it's, it's going to be pretty cool for him to look up to me and be like, wow, my mom's doing all these incredible things and is also being an incredible mother in the process. Yeah, uh, he reminds me, you know, like, I'm not running out there for him. I see some of these moms and they're like, oh, I'm doing this for my son or my daughter. I'm not running for my kid. (laughs) But um, I do believe that he has given me more of like a perspective on what I need to show up and be a good mother for him every day. And I need that routine of running every day and I need goals. So I still need to be competing because if I don't have those things in my life, I can't show up for him. Um, And so it's also special, extra special when he's coming to the track sessions and, you know, sitting on the infield watching me run and, we drive by the track every day and he's like, mama runs there. Um, (laughs) So that's kind of cute too, that he's definitely understanding that athletics piece of it. But most importantly, Weiler has taught me that I am not ready to leave sport and it is part of me and I need it to be my best self. 
So therefore I'm still competing at 34. Right. So I think a lot of people think that, you know, when you hit the age of 34 or when you start to have kids or a two-year-old, like they think, okay, time to hang up the spikes or in your case, the road shoes, like, um, you know, the best of your career is over. But I think you're just one of many examples that, no, that's not the truth. And you can actually start to excel and reach new heights in, in your mid thirties and beyond. Like Kira D'Amato, I think it's brought up a lot as a really awesome example of someone who is doing it late into their thirties and reaching new heights within the sport. So for you, was there a point where you had to, you know, like almost make up confidence, like, Hey, I can, I can be really good in my mid thirties and and start to reach new heights in the sport. This is an interesting question because I would say it, you know, for people that don't know listening, I was a professional triathlete for 10 years. Uh, and I recently retired in 2019 to have my son. And when I was a triathlete, I would say I didn't have very much confidence. I really doubted myself. Um, I didn't believe I would win when I was on the start line. And I had a very thriving career though. I made, you know, I did pretty good. Then I had my kid and then I started this running endeavor. And this might sound cocky, but like, I don't see any limits on myself. Like I get to the race and every single time I line up, I'm like, I'm going to win this race or I'm going to like blow up, you know? And I, I'm not scared anymore. I have zero fear uh, of failing. Um, I just don't have any expectations for myself anymore when it comes to sports. And that, that limitation, once you remove that, you finally allow yourself to see what you're capable of. And I feel like I'm just coming into that. Uh, when I was a triathlete, my, my 10 K PR was 35, 30. And, and then six months after I had my baby, I ran 32 flat in my first track race I've ever competed in, in my life. I didn't do track in high school. I didn't do track in college. Um, and now I'm a 31 minute 10 K runner because I just believe in myself. And I didn't have that confidence or belief in myself before I had Wilder. So I don't know if having a child just took the pressure off or maybe just distracts me. Like I don't have time to overanalyze everything. Um, or maybe he's just instilled a lot more confidence in me and I believe a lot more in myself now uh, because I know I'm a little older and I don't have much experience in running, but I really haven't counted myself out on anything. Um, I have full expectations to be in the running for the Olympic team for the marathon. And um, I'm really excited to see how close we can get to that. I love it. You just talking there got me like amped up. I'm like, let's go. Uh, that was super awesome. So going deeper into that, talking about belief as you kind of were, I think belief and confidence is something that every person in, in, in sport, every runner struggles with to believe in themselves, to set out to achieve the things they have. So when you were talking, I'm kind of curious to go deeper into that. How crucial is it to you to believe in yourself every day and, and show up for yourself and believe that even though the goals you've set for yourself might seem crazy on paper, like you believe that you can actually achieve those goals. Yeah, I do. And it's a lot about just not abandoning yourself and not counting yourself out before you even give yourself a chance. Um, you know, I'm also a coach and I have 30 athletes and um, I can't stand when they say they, they can't do something or they label themselves as I'm a bad runner as long as you believe that you will always be that. And 
I didn't realize that until I'm now running, right? And my second time around at sports, um, a lot of that negative self-talk, it's real. I would say it's like 50% of your performance is what you just think about yourself when you visualize yourself. When I visualize myself as a runner, I don't think anyone can beat me. And obviously that's not true, but that's how I feel about myself. Um, I get on the start line and I'm not scared of anybody. Uh, and I don't really know how I got there though. Um, I think because I've found like the playfulness and the fun and joy in running instead of thinking it as a burden or like, you know, like a workout for me now is like really exciting. It's like the highlight of my week. Whereas before, you know, I would dread workouts, right? I would be nervous. Um, and I think in, in every, you know, I write my goals down. I read them every day. The beginning of this year, I wrote down that I wanted to run 109 and the half marathon. And, and I wanted to run 227 at CIM. And I did both of those things, right? And it's just math. And I just knew what pace I needed to be able to hold for a certain amount of time. And I prove it in training. And I have a good coach who I believe in. And I just had full confidence in myself. Um, and I also think this time around, I am aware of nutrition and um, sleeping and like the stress outside of sport that can affect your performance. And I just have a much better grasp on that. And I'm, I'm able to treat my body better than I did um, when I was younger. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because when they lose confidence, then they stop eating, you know, then they get injured. And once you start that negative downward spiral, it's really hard to get out of. And so I've kind of just not let myself get into that. And every time I see myself getting close to that, I pull back or I ask for help. And I think asking for help too has been huge for me. Um, instead of just thinking I can do it all on my own because I can't. So you talked about uh, being a coach. Uh, first off, talk about the name of the business for those who are interested in looking into it because I'm forgetting off the top of my head. And then in addition to that, what are the biggest lessons you've learned from yourself being a coach? And, and also like you talked about the 30 athletes you coach, seeing them on their own individual trajectory and their own goals and their own training and how special that's been to kind of journey with 30 humans towards achieving a better version of themselves. It's amazing. My company is called Black Sheep Endurance. Um, I'm a triathlon coach, so I coach triathlon. I don't really have many runners, but um, open to it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I never saw myself being a coach. Um, it kind of just fell into my lap. I started coaching a couple people for fun and then I decided I really enjoyed it and I really got a, a big like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know, when you like win a race, you get this huge like endorphin dopamine hit, you know, and, and it's, it's addicting. And this is why we race, you know, this is why everybody keeps signing up for races. Um, but with coaching, when my athletes would do well, I would feel that even more. So selfishly, I wanted to keep feeling that. Um, it felt really good to have someone execute and achieve their dreams. And I'm really proud of myself for being able to have a career that's helping people achieve things and achieve confidence. Um, 
but it's hard to watch, like I mentioned sometimes, to watch people be so close to breakthroughs and start self-sabotaging because of their insecurities they have going on in their mind, right? And I would say, yes, I'm a coach and give them workouts and, and whatnot, but also I would say I'm a mental coach for a lot of my athletes and how to shift that framework and that mindset um, so we don't self-sabotage before breakthroughs because that's what we all kind of want to do, you know? and um, I think that is the really interesting part of coaching that I enjoy is learning people and, and what they need to hear to get motivated. Some people need to be told you're going too slow, go faster. Right. Or some people need a cheerleader in their corner and it's determining what kind of athlete I'm working with at that time. And what do they need to reach their potential? And, you know, when I'm doing my own training, I try to like, I was just in the marathon at CAM and I was at 30K and I was just hitting a wall and I was trying to coach myself, like, what would you tell your athletes, <laughs> you know, and, and I'm going through my athlete, like index of the ones that I kind of relate to. And, and I was just like, <laughs> slapping myself in the face and like, you can do this, like you've done this in training, like you need to go dark and and I definitely like thought about a lot of my athletes and the things I tell them. So the coaching kind of goes both ways. It's, it's helped me in racing as well to make decisions because I've had to be in these situations with so many athletes, you know, hypothetical race situations. Um, so while I'm actually doing it, it helps a lot. Right. That's super special. So going back into your start in the sport of running, um, yeah, just to kind of lay the foundation of how you started. And I also think from doing base research and knowing your story a little bit, you have a super unique start in the sport, right? Because a lot of my guests, it's like they started in fifth grade or they, the latest they started was like freshman year and they were super competitive in high school. And then they went to the NCAA and crushed it in the NCAA and, and et cetera, et cetera. So can you take us through your unique start in the sport and yeah, just take us yeah through throughout the whole story? Yeah. So I grew up and I was a swimmer, pretty competitive. Um, I stopped swimming at 15 though, because I got an eating disorder and I got really slow and I just quit sports completely. Um, went off to college, got a biology degree. Um, I didn't do sports. And then I started running in college, just like mental health reasons. Like I would run 5k a day. Um, and I started dating a guy who, did triathlon. So I decided I would try triathlon because I was already a swimmer and then, and I, but I hadn't swam in like five years and I was starting to run. So then I got a bike and I joined the club team and I did triathlon for one year in college at Clemson university. And I got really good at it. And, um, I ended up uh, like getting my professional, um, qualification right after college. So, and the way you do that is like, you basically win an Ironman 70.3 event as an amateur and you can race pro in the next race. So I did that. And then right after college, I, I just started doing triathlon. And, um, I know that sounds so like weird, <laughs> um, but I was pretty good and I just committed my whole life to it. And, I really learned the business side of triathlon and I figured out how I could make money doing it. And I got some really good sponsors. I figured out like 
which races would pay me to go do the races. I learned like how to make money in the sport. And I kept setting financial kind of goals for myself year after year. And I ended up having a very lucrative career in triathlon. Um, and I did that for 10 years and um, I loved it. Um, but I would say it was a very lonely endeavor. Like I was always living by myself, training by myself. Um, I never was with a group. So everything was kind of alone. And like I mentioned, when we started this podcast, like later in life, I realized I thrive with connection. And so I don't think I was ever very happy doing triathlon. It definitely felt like a job to me, but I was also grateful because I was traveling the world for free and racing. So what better way to spend your twenties, you know? Um, during this time though, I was, I wouldn't sleep for days, like days at a time. It was so bad. And I still like struggle with sleep, obviously. Um, but thinking back to my career, like that's all I think about is how I couldn't sleep. And it's this dark cloud over it. And, you know, I'm, I'm just now at a point where I'm now learning why that was right. And like the trauma I had to go through and, and, and whatnot. Um, and I ended up actually getting a THC suspension at the end of my triathlon career because I was using edibles to sleep because it was the only thing I could find that helped me sleep. So that was not the way I thought I would end my career in triathlon. And I feel like it was taken for me. Um, and you know, we can get into that as a whole other podcast and, um, but regardless, I, it was abruptly taken from me and I lost every sponsor in like 24 hours. Um, and I didn't really know what to do with my life because I was, had been doing this for 10 years, like straight out of college. So I didn't know my next steps. So I, I had a kid and then COVID hit. Um, and then I just started running all the time because it was the only thing I could do. The pools were closed. Um, I was just coming off a of pregnancy. I live in Boulder. I had never explored the trails because I'd always been doing like triathlon running. And so I just fell in love with running. And um, my ex-husband at the time was like, you need to get a coach because you're going to get injured. And so we, I hired Tom Schwartz, who was the coach of 10 man at the time in Boulder. And um, I went out there six months after I had my kid and he made me do a one mile time trial just off out the gate. And I ran, I think four forty eight in Boulder. And then he was like, you can make the Olympic trials and running. And I was like, what? There's no way. <laughs> Like, I am not a good runner. And he was like, you have what it takes. And I was like, okay. So I believed him. And from that day, that was January 2021. I've had so much confidence in running. And I haven't, I haven't looked back. Like, and I'm going full. I did the 5K on the track, the 10K on the track. Um, then I was like, change my mind. And now I'm going to do the marathon. So like, I've been trying out all the distances over the past year. And it's been really awesome because it's such a new sport to me. 
and uh, it doesn't take much time and I'm really good at it and I really love it and I don't get injured. And so I think as a runner, if you can run high mileage and you enjoy it and you don't get injured, like who doesn't love running, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where I am now. So I've kind of retired from the track. Um, it's just too, it, it's too expensive to do track racing because there's no prize money and there's no assistance to get to races. And I just can't justify doing that. Although track is super interesting to me and I wish I could go back 10 years and you know, do the five and 10 K and like run for Bowerman and like do that whole thing, but I can't. So I've decided to focus on the marathon now, um, in road racing and, you know, at least commit through trials, um, a hundred percent and see where I can, what I can do. So there's so much in there that we can deconstruct, but I, the first thing I want to deconstruct is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you didn't get started until, you know, midway through college, at least in triathlon, um, or at least like starting to run. Uh, we're recording this on the 26th. It will be out later this week, or it should be out later this week. And by the time this comes out, it'll be a few days until New Year's. And people always love to set New Year's goals and resolutions. And I'm not sure how many non-runners listen to this podcast, so maybe it's not applicable. But I think a lot of people think in life that they're they're too old to start something new or they're too old to like really pursue something. And I think you're a perfect example of like, it's never too late to start. It's never too late to explore something new. So can you dive into, uh, you know, maybe give those people encouragement as to why they should maybe take up that new thing and really dive into it and pursue it like you chose to do in college and, and look at where you're at now? Yeah, I will say there's, there is nothing that compares to doing something for the first time and having no expectations and just fully immersing yourself in that journey. And, um, you know, for me in college, that was triathlon. And I was 20 years old when I started. I mean, 20 years old when I did my first 5K. And, um, you know, now I'm top 10 marathoner in the United States. Like, so there's no, I think as long as you have the on it, you will be good at it. And you know, even with running, so many people ask me, why didn't you go back to triathlon? Like you could go to the Olympics and triathlon. And I know I could go to the Olympics and triathlon, but I don't love it. And I don't like, like, I don't want to do it. And so I do believe you can start anything at any age, but you have to really want it really bad. Right. And it has to really excite you. And light you up and like really make you happy and running for me at this age is what it, that does that for me i've never ever don't want to go on a run and even on my 16th week of my marathon block i still wanted to get out there you know like i love it i love everything about running so it's just really finding that thing that you're really passionate about and um i know that sounds cliche but like you can't be excellent at something unless you want unless you love it period um your, bo your body just won't allow you to get there. And, uh, and another thing that drives me is like making money. So that's also why I was like, I can't do track because there's like the money piece isn't there to motivate me. I love that. Um, so yeah, new year, uh, new, new resolutions, people should sign up and, and get after something, whether that's just walking every day or that's signing up for an iron man you know there's there's a lot of things that you can do um even when you're old like me 
So going into the THC ban, I'm just curious, what were your, like your first initial reactions when you got that news from USADA, I'm assuming, who it came from? And also like coming to the realization that, okay, this thing happened, like how am I going to move forward with this? You lose all your sponsors. What were your emotions and thoughts after, you know, such difficult news, really life-changing, altering news as we've kind of seen throughout your life? It was very confusing for me because it's not like I was... I don't feel like I was irresponsible um, in my choices because THC is legal out of competition. It's just not legal in competition. And um, as anybody probably knows, you can't use THC in competition and have a good race. Like it's not a performance enhancing thing. And I had been tested probably 25 times and been fine. And then one time I was tested and I wasn't fine. Um, and so that was really confusing for me because I had no idea what was going on. Um, and the only thing I can really come down to is I was using like a CBD THC cream for like an injury. And I didn't know if maybe that was like, put me over the edge or something, you know, but I was actually on my way to a race. When I got the news, I was in the Miami airport traveling to South America to race, um, uh, Iron Man in Ecuador. And um, I had to turn around and come back home. I, I, I couldn't go. And uh, it was really awful. It was really awful. It was, uh, I found out this was like July 4th, 2019. And um, the world championships were in September that year. So we were like, maybe we can just get a two month ban and you can still race the world championships and like, you know, carry on with your career. But USADA insisted on giving me a six month ban, which now it's only a one month ban. Um, so that kind of ended everything for me. And at that point I was so disappointed with myself. I felt shameful and the sport and my mental health. And I just wanted to sleep like, you know, and I was, I didn't know what to do. So the whole thing was confusing. I was angry. Um, I was lost. I had no direction on what I should do next. Um, I didn't have support because everyone on slow twitch and let's run were calling me a doper and, um, people would look at me weird at the gym. Like I'm doing EPO. I'm like, I'm just trying to sleep, <laughs> you know, like, so I felt really shameful and dirty and wrong. But, um, you know, now a couple of years later and a lot of therapy later, like I've worked through a lot of it and I'm very proud to be competing again and, um, finishing my career on my terms and not on someone else's. And so I think also that's why I have this drive to really compete and running as well. Um, it's definitely, I'd be lying if, if. I said it wasn't lighting the fire under me too, because there's definitely that part of me that I feel like I need to prove whatever to everybody that, you know, I am good enough and I'm going to finish my career when I want to be done. Um, so, you know, here I am, but that comes with a lot, you know, it still comes with some challenges. Like just because I have that on my record now, I'm not able to run some races. Um, like I'm from Charleston, South Carolina, and the Cooper River Bridge Run won't let me compete, and it's a local race for me, right? Because I've had that suspension on my record, and although I've I've paid my dues and it's gone now, but um, 
and I'm trying to find an agent to get into big races like the London Marathon. And that's coming kind of difficult because I'm, you know, they still associate me with this THC violation from years ago. So it definitely still haunts me and I'm definitely still paying for that price, you know, years later, different sport. Um, but it's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm navigating my way through this the best I can. Yeah. So looking back on this, uh, you know, event in your life over three years removed from it, what are some of the biggest lessons you've learned personally just from the, I mean, you see within your own story, obviously you shifted sports because of it. A lot of dramatic life changes happened because of this. And I'm sure there were, you know, even in the darkest moments, I feel like you still learn a few good lessons throughout it. So for you personally, what are some lessons you learned through this event and how has it kind of shaped your future and in your present day today? Yeah, it definitely shaped my life. I mean, I went and got married way too quickly because I was broken and I thought that would heal me. And then I had a kid because again, <laughs> my marriage wasn't good and I thought that would heal me, um, but it didn't. And I've just learned like, you know, and I, I really suppressed the THC thing for a long time and just pretend it didn't happen. And um, everything kind of came to a whole, like, why did I need to use this uh, substance of sleep? And I've really started, like, why do I have performance in, you know, internally? And, you know, also it was a blessing for me though, because I was so miserable in triathlon and I didn't like it. And again, like I said, I was very lonely and like, it was a very lonely sport for me. Um, and I, I don't think I would have left though, because I was having so much success. So I think it needed to be blown up for me to leave and just like it was right. And, um, and now I have this thriving coaching business out of it. So, you know, a lot of positives came out of it. Um, but, you know, another lesson is follow the rules. <laughs> it's like, you know what I mean? Just be careful. Um, don't be so naive to things, like take things seriously. And I'm definitely better at that now. And um, yeah, so I don't know. It's made me, it's made me really question why I do sport. Um, Am I doing it because I love sport? Am I doing it to like, uh, am I doing it to kind of manage my life, right? Am I doing it to escape my reality? Like there's been a lot of questions I've had to answer for myself um, while I was on the sidelines, while I was pregnant, while I went through my divorce and while now I'm rebuilding in my career with people hating on me still, right? Like, you know, years later, oh, she shouldn't be in this race. She's a doper. Um, that's really hard to hear as like a mom and like somebody who's worked really hard. So, um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see where the, the running goes and I definitely have a positive outlook on it and I'm optimistic. So kind of talking about some negativity, you talked about let's run, which is just mysterious for hating on everybody. I've had threads started about this podcast. You know, it's just, I don't know, that site's interesting, but that's one aspect where, yeah, you're going to experience a lot of negativity, especially if you did test positive for something that community is just 
holds nothing back when talking about people who have tested positive for substances. Um, another situation where you experienced negativity was you were on a group and people on the group did not like you. And because of that, you had to leave the group. So can you kind of talk about how you deal with negativity? Because it's something that every listener can relate to. There's always going to be someone in your life that's negative about you or talking negatively about you or talking about you behind their back. Um, can you talk about kind of how you've dealt with negativity and maybe some tips for our listeners on how to deal with negativity positively? Yeah, for sure. Um, I used to get really uh, fired up with these things, like with the comments on Let's Run. And y yes, I was in a running group earlier this year where the girls basically had a brunch and they decided I wasn't a good fit for the team. And again, at 34 years old, it's really hard to hear still. Um, but I'm learning everybody has their own trauma, dude. And like, we all just behave in the way that we know how to behave. And we're all trying to protect ourselves. And so I've tried, I'm really trying to take this stuff less personally. And, you know, like this person is reacting because this is going on in their life. Right. And I'm just being the person I, maybe I'm a trigger for people, you know, like maybe what I'm doing is triggering. Um, or maybe people don't like my personality because I'm a very outspoken type person. Like I don't really, I, everything I say is pretty much the truth. Like, you know, so some people can't handle that. And I used to be very insecure and like let these things affect me and, and ruin my mood or I would react. Um, but now I kind of just sit back and I'm just like, people deal with things and with the tools they have to use and that's all they have. And um, I give people the benefit of the doubt. And I just try to surround myself with the people I wanna be around. Like I used to think I needed to be everybody's friend. I don't need to be everybody's friend. I have like four friends <laughs> and you know, those are my safe people. And I don't really, I'm not really interested in any more friends. <laughs> so having the, com having a community around you that, you know, will tell you the truth. Right. And then I feel you're able to handle the negativity because you know, your core group would tell you if that's really how you're being right. Um, Lauren, you're really an awful teammate. If my core running partner told me that, then I would really think about it. But if some girls that are jealous and they're not having a good season and they're stressed and they're insecure and they tell me I'm a, a bad running partner, well, I'm not going to take that personally, right? Because that's something that they're going through in their life. And I've tried to have empathy for people and just put myself in their shoes and be like, they're clearly suffering and taking it out of me right? Or these people on Let's Run, they're clearly suffering and being mean to people makes them feel good. So this has nothing to do with me. And this has everything to do with those people, right? And um, just trying to have that perspective on things instead of letting it come inside my inner kind of safe place and, and impact me and change my perspective on myself. No, I love that outlook. I think that's a phenomenal, optimistic way to live. Uh, and I think any other way, it's really hard to deal with negativity if uh, you take it too seriously or, um, yeah, so I appreciate those thoughts. Kind of talking about this this past year, we're recording this on December 26th, so I think it's a perfect time of year to kind of reflect on the previous year and all your accomplishments and the ups and downs. On paper, you had the most successful running year of your life. 
how thrilled are you with how this year went accomplishing all your big goals and, and just the individual progress every single day and seeing yourself kind of take one step closer to your big goals uh, throughout this year. How special has that been? This year has been amazing athletically for me. Um, I've achieved every single thing I wanted to achieve. Um, I was like a little short on all my goals actually by like a couple seconds, um, but I don't care. I, look, at the beginning of this year, I was like, I want to get through this year without being injured. And I want to push my limits and see where that takes me. Um, and I had one injury in March and I was out for a whole month. Um, and that was really difficult for me, but I got through it and I was fine. And I came out of the other side just fine. And I think that experience for me um, took away the fear of being injured and running because in running, it's like, if you can't run, you really don't have anything, right? And so I had an Achilles thing for a month and I couldn't run for a month and I came out just fine. So now in the back of my mind, I know I can be injured for a month and I'm okay, you know? Um, and I've enjoyed uh, learning the different training from being really good at the 5K to being really good at the marathon. I've kind of seen what that takes and that education piece for me as a coach was priceless. Uh, I've learned so much um, about coaching running, about the sport of running. Um, and then, you know, to finish it off, I got to experience my debut marathon, which I did not give the marathon enough credit. You know, I, I, I had never, I did a marathon a long time ago in college um, for fun, but I never trained and competed in a marathon properly. And wow, do you have to go to a really dark place, really dark place. And I learned a lot about myself during that race and of how strong I am mentally. And um, that was just a very out of body, weird experience when I finished that marathon. I didn't even know what to think. It was so hard and I never experienced anything physically and mentally that hard that I was just so exhausted. Like, most of us finish a race and we're like, oh, I could have gone faster. You know, like, I'm not happy. Like, I would say my 5K, 10K, and half marathon this year, all of them, I finished and I could have done faster. Um, definitely, I mean, I was satisfied, but I like, you know, I was like, oh, I could have gone a little faster. <laughs> um, that marathon, I gave every ounce of my body and I did not, I had nothing left. And I can't, I really don't remember a time where I've ever emptied the well like that in my life. And that experience for me was, I'll just never forget it. I mean, it was really, really, really hard. And to go to that place mentally takes a lot of mental strength. And I was really proud of myself for um, not giving up and, and having the great race on that day. Um, so performance wise, this year was great. Got injured, learned a lot about myself, learned how to train for a marathon, working with a, my dream coach that I've, you know, like I'm finally working with the coach I've always wanted to work with. Um, and I'm really, really happy where I am right now. I'm, I'm feeling grounded. I'm feeling uh, stable. I'm feeling calm and I'm feeling confident. And I think that combination is pretty lethal. Like if you can have all those things, you're gonna have a good season running. Um, so I'm really excited about next year, although I have no idea why I'm racing. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, let's let's talk about your coach. You're now working with a, co- a coach out of Norway. Can you talk about that relationship? And also, anyone who follows Sweatily will see that you did a workout video, uh, and that was super interesting because I followed the Norwegian training method, but taking lactate and like the little prick, um, I always like that. I always get like when I'm watching, I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. So, can you talk about working with that coach? Uh, how fun and instrumental that's been <laughs> in, in your path and progress, and also some of the more fun details like checking your lactate like I was talking about so um fun part of the conversation I as I've said I'm a coach and I'm a triathlon coach and if you follow triathlon Norway right now is dominating um they're winning they won the Olympics they're winning the Ironman I mean they're on to something and then you see Jakob Britson, obviously um He's very good, right? And then um, the Norwegian like cross-country ski program is amazing. And so as a coach, I've been consulting with the Norwegian coaches, the triathlon coaches, um, because I was like, what are they doing to be so consistent, but also be able to win short course and long course within six months? So for runners, that would be like winning the gold medal and the 5k and then winning the marathon six months later, like nobody does that, you know, like you can't be fast and then really good endurance. And I was so intrigued by how, how did they change their training program so quickly to like specialize in that, in the demands of the race they were doing. Um, so I did a couple of consultation calls with them and I learned some stuff for coaching and, and once it wasn't working out with my group in Boulder, I, through a Hail Mary and I asked my current coach, Arlid Tavidan, if he would coach me as a runner. And he said yes. And he's never coached a runner. He's only coached triathletes. I'm his first runner. Um, I joined in August and I said, I wanna run a marathon in three months. And he was like, "Um, okay. (laughs) Have you ever done a marathon? No. Okay. Have you done a half marathon? No. Okay. And I was like, I want to run 227 and I want to win CIM. And so we got to work and the training is hard. It's very high volume. Um, It's very long workouts, but everything is intensity controlled. So we don't do anything faster than half marathon pace. So none of my intervals were ever faster than 520 pace for me. And I think I ended up running 537 pace in the marathon. And, but it's a lot of everything's controlled by lactate. So you really have to leave your ego behind because if your lactate's high during an interval workout, you have to reduce your pace. And that's really hard for people to do because we all think we're much faster than we are. Um, So, and then a lot of these workouts are very long. Like um, I think my last, my, one of my marathon workouts was four times five miles at marathon pace with one minute rest. Like, and I did that by myself on a 1K loop with nobody or with me, right? So all the trainings alone, it's all intensity controlled. Nothing's too hard. Um, but uh, my coach was like, if you want me to coach you, you have to do the plan 100%. And um, I 100% bought in and he's been wonderful. Um, he'll be like on WhatsApp with me during my workout and I'm telling him my lactate values and he's telling me how to adjust the pace. And like, 
he's very invested. Like, yes, he's in Norway, but we talk all the time. And um, I've really just learned a lot from him um, on how to approach sessions, fueling. I definitely wasn't fueling enough. And um, I'm just learning how important carbohydrates are and how runners typically under fuel. And um, I've learned a lot about that. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just really hard blue collar work. And it, it's also a reminder to me that you really have to love what you're doing to be good at it because you just simply can't do the training that's needed to be great if you don't love it. Um, so um, I'm really looking forward to next season with him um, because we've only been working together since August. So for him to get me to debut at 227 um, off to a couple of months of training was, was pretty awesome. Um, and uh, I haven't been injured and I haven't been sick. So it should be a really good season with him. And I hope to get to Norway at some point this year. That's awesome. So talking about 2023, what are your big goals? You sound like someone who sets big goals and then chases after them with 100% effort. So looking towards 2023, what are those goals that you're really excited to chase after? I really want to run sub 224 in the marathon. Um, I need a time like for my head. Like I don't need the time. I've qualified for the Olympic trials. Um, I had the world standard, but they just made them faster. So now I don't have the world standard. Um, so I want to find a marathon where I can run 224 or faster. I was thinking about London, but again, it's really difficult to get in without an agent. Um, and I don't have an agent, so, and I don't have any sponsors. Um, so that's a hard one to get in, but I'm looking for something like London, like flat, fast, fast women racing, run in a group, um, and get a really good time. Um, Prague is also another one I'm looking at. Um, and then I'm going to do either Chicago or Berlin in the fall. Um, and again, to get that fast time going into the trials and having confidence and knowing that I'm able to run sub 224. So those are kind of my big goals for next year. Um, I'll probably do two marathons next year. And um, then I'll just do some road racing in the US um, during the season, just to, for training to get some cash. I don't really see myself doing the track next year. I'd like to run a 108 half somewhere. Um, I'd like to break 32 on the road, run 31 something in the 10k somewhere. <laughs> so I'll probably just do it a lot, a lot of the road circuits. I think I'm going to start my season off though. Um, in March at the New York city United airlines half marathon. That'll be my first race for the season. Awesome. So for those who have listened to this conversation, they've heard your story in depth and a lot of the different parts and elements that have made you who you are today. So one final serious question for those that listen to the conversation today, what do you want them to take away from the conversation and your story in general? We're all trying to be happy, right? And I mean, that's the new thing in the 2020s generation is like, Everybody wants to be happy. And I really think you got to find deep down what's holding you back and what really excites you. And if you can figure out those two things, I believe your path is like going to be pretty clear. Right. And so I would just say I wouldn't settle for things being good enough. Like I would never take 
I'm good enough as an answer. Like for me, it's not enough. I want to know like what my limits are. Um, I want to beat this insomnia thing. I want to figure out why I'm not sleeping. I want to end sport on my own, on my own terms. And then I think I will have peace and feel happy. Um, so I just, I think keeping setting goals, but also figuring out your why, why are you doing something every day? Um, instead of just doing it every day, right? Like doing things with an intention. I think that brings more like substance to whatever you're trying to achieve. And it, it really allows you to, to bring out the best in yourself and you have to let yourself be able to reach your goals. And, um, you know, like with my son, I, I finally figured out connection for me brings out the best in me. So if I go to a race, I want to travel with somebody. I don't want to go alone because I'm not going to have my best race. And so it's like learning those small tricks on how you can actually see the best version of yourself. Um, because it's not clear. It's not clear. I'm 34 years old. I'm still trying to figure it out and I'm getting close, but I'm not there. So just never give up on that path. And you know, keep pursuing excellence and there's always more and never just settling for mediocrity, right? Like always trying to strive to be your best. I love that message to everybody. Love it. Love it. Lauren, this conversation has been super insightful, a fun one, and it's been so awesome to deconstruct your story. I end off every single podcast with one final question. The most important question I'll ask today. The question is, if you had Gordon Ramsay coming over for dinner, what would you choose to make for him? What would I make for him? Yes, what would you make for him? <laughs> Chef Lauren in the kitchen. Okay, I, I'd probably make poke bowls. Been Ooh. really into those lately. Sounds delicious. Well, Lauren, yeah. I, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. You are welcome back on any time. Really looking forward to seeing all the incredible things you accomplish in 2023. And uh, yeah, just thank you for your vulnerability and sharing your story. It's definitely inspiring to me personally, and I'm sure will be inspiring as well to all those who listen. So my sincere best wishes for this upcoming year, and I'm excited to get you back on the podcast. Thanks. Have a great new year. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I greatly appreciate your time and taking time out of your busy life to listen to the podcast. I hope it influenced you positively. And if you did enjoy the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Make sure you're following the show so you never miss another episode. Share the show with a friend or two and even share it on social media. Doing those things greatly helps us reach new people and hopefully inspires them through the process of them finding the show and listening to the podcast. Uh, I greatly appreciate your time and listening to the show. I don't take your time for granted. And I know everyone has a busy life, so I hope my podcast has brought you value today. Uh, I'm looking forward to releasing more episodes in the future. Generally, we release two episodes per week. So again, make sure you're following on your preferred podcast platform so you never miss another episode. I appreciate you greatly. You can always send me an email or a DM if you have any questions, feedback, positive or negative. I'm always here for it. So I greatly appreciate your time. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I will catch you all in next week's episode.